Well, good morning, Grace. How are we doing today? Guys feeling all right? Going to be a lively bunch. You're going to talk back to me in the message today, all that kind of good stuff, right? It's great to be here. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, Pastor Jim, along with a team of 20, uh, 20 Gracies, are in Cambodia right now, um, loving on our rescued orphans. So definitely be praying for them. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of those trips. It's a, it's a fantastic trip. Encourage you to consider being a part of that. Uh, but it, it's, I think it's eight flights in 10 days. And so uh, don't let that scare you. That's just the reality. But be praying just for, for uh, endurance and, uh, you know, energy that our team can just continue to be pouring into our rescued orphans. It's fun seeing all the pictures uh, back from, from the team. They're posting those. And, and uh, so be praying uh, for uh, for the, the team. Well, we're in a series called Jesus Lynchpin, uh, looking through the letter of Colossians. And, uh, and so I'm excited to be able to just continue that series. Uh, but I want to talk first about uh, 1971. 1971, a couple things took place in 1971. Uh, the first thing is Walt Disney World opened in 1971, 47 years ago. Did you guys know that? Well, now you know, 47 years ago, Walt Disney World, and now 47 years later, you load up the van and drive 16 plus hours down to 145 degree weather, and you wait in line uh, for 16 hours to ride your favorite ride. And so that happened uh, in 1971. Also in 1971, Intel developed the first microprocessor microprocessor. So the whole digital age kind of started in 1971. 47 years later, your kids are staying up way too late playing Fortnite. That's the result of that, right? And if you don't know what Fortnite is, uh, maybe when, like me, I I just, I I played Fortnite, right? 100 blankets in my room making a fort and I slept all night in it. That was Fortnite for us, right? Yes. Yes. And so, Uh, But that happened in 1971, and then something else happened in 1971. It was on a Monday, and it was actually January 11th, 1971. Uh, A young uh, lady named Bonnie and her husband, Ed, uh, gave birth to a little boy, uh, and they looked at each other, and they said, we shall name him Michael, Michael Silliman, because that's a popular name uh, in our day and age, Michael, we name our kid, and he shall be called Michael. And so, when I came out of the, the womb uh, on that uh, Monday, uh, middle of the night, sometime, I, I thought about texting my mom this morning just to find out that you know the time, the exact time. I know it was sometime in the middle of the night. I don't know uh, what time, but but here's what I do know: I didn't start walking right away. I know that may surprise you, but I didn't walk right away, and um, in fact, I couldn't, um, I couldn't even feed myself for some time, and I graduated into that, you know, and I started, uh, you know, uh, I couldn't even cover myself with a blanket. My mom had to actually swaddle me and kind of hold me close, and I whined a whole lot. I cried a whole lot when I wasn't happy, uh, and, um, you know, I, everything had to be done for me, right? And uh, and then day by day, I, I matured and uh, got to the point to where, you know, I could actually go to the bathroom. Mom's dad still had to help with the paperwork. You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, and, uh, but we finally got past that. Uh, probably took longer than my mom would have liked, but we got past that to, to where I was able to army crawl, right? Army crawl. How many of you parents are in the middle of army crawl time in your life right now? I got kids army crawling, right? And then soon after, I was able to pick myself up and I was able to walk, right? And I matured uh, in, in life. That's just how it works. It's how it it worked since the beginning, and it's how it's going to continue to work. And uh, by the way, I still do paperwork for my kids, uh, but now it's more like FAFSA, okay? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about if you've ever done the FAFSA paperwork. I got two of those bad boys, so pray for me. Pray for me. It's, it's, it's difficult. But it's also how it works when we come to know the Lord. You know, we have this moment in our lives when we recognize our need for Jesus, right? And, and, um, and maybe for you, you were young when that happened. Uh, it was for me. And, um, and, but that was the moment where, where I recognized that, um, you know, I had a sin problem in my life and, and I needed Jesus to be able to rescue me and pay the penalty, paid the penalty on the cross perfectly for my sin took care of my debt, and I recognize that. And when we recognize that, and we, and we say, I want to follow you, Jesus, I recognize that uh, the only thing I bring to the table is my sin, and I, I need you to save me from my sin. That, that moment, we become what's called, it's a, it's a big word, it's called justified, right? It's a legal term, meaning that our debt has been satisfied, and, and that God now looks at us, when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ he doesn't see our sinfulness, and, and that's a moment that we call our salvation. But the other thing that you need to know, and sometimes we don't think of it in terms like this, is there's two other aspects to our salvation. Uh, so that's our justification, that moment, and maybe it was here, maybe it was this stage that you walked across for the very first time, said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I recognize I'm a sinner. Maybe that happened on an Easter Sunday, you walk across the stage or, or as a, a youngster. But then the second aspect of our salvation is a really important one. And uh, now that we are saved, there's a second part to our salvation, and it's called sanctification. It's another big word uh, that ends in shun. Uh, and sanctification, and that's the process of becoming like Jesus. It's a process of, be, of maturing in our faith. See, uh, God doesn't want to just save you and then keep you in the same patterns of behavior that you had before you came to him, right? But he wants to see you mature fully and become more and more like Jesus, to become more holy the longer that you walk with him, that, uh, that he's going to move in you and work in you through his Holy Spirit. But there's this thing uh, that we have to contribute to the process, and it's called our effort. Uh, because, you know, we don't have to bring our effort to come to Christ for our, our initial salvation, that's only through the blood of Jesus and, 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 and placing our faith in, in that, and it's all grace, right? But our sanctification, the process by which we grow in the Lord and mature in the Lord, that comes when we put our effort into God's grace and we lean into God's grace. I say it this way, we mature in our faith when our effort cooperates with the Holy Spirit's power. 
And so when that happens, when we lean into God's grace, we lean into the Holy Spirit's power in our life, we look for where God's working, and we join him in that process, something takes place in our life. It's called sanctification. It's called maturing, growing up in our faith. See, when we come to Christ, he doesn't just make our life better. He becomes our life. Does that make sense? And when we come to Christ, we get a whole new life. We get a whole new identity, but we're still living in a fallen world and, and we're, 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 we're dealing with suffering, right? Because that's a reality of, of life is suffering and God wants to work in the midst of our suffering as well to do the work in us and through us so that we can become more like Jesus. So today I want to talk to you, uh, the title I message today is Placing Jesus at the Center of Our Suffering. Placing Jesus at the center of our suffering. So we're going to look about, we're going to look at what that looks like. How do we do that? How do we place Jesus at the center of our suffering? And what happens when we do that? And so we're in the midst of this, uh, this, this series through Colossians. So Paul wrote to this group of people that he dearly loved, but check this out. He never met them face to face. He never met the people in this church, he's only heard about them, he's heard about their faith, and he's writing this letter because he wants to encourage them. He wants them to become mature in their faith. He wants to see them sanctified. He wants to see them in this process of sanctification. And so, he, as you'll see in our passage that we're going to read today, um, you know, he's going to do that through the lens of suffering. And, and, and so, we're going to lean into that together today. Here's what I know. If we give our effort, okay, without the Holy Spirit's power, just our effort, we just try really hard, try, try, try really hard. Without the Holy Spirit's power, it just makes you exhausted. That's what it's gonna do. It's gonna make you exhausted. You're gonna spin around in circles. At the same time, the Holy Spirit's power that's in you, because if you are a follower of Christ and you've trusted Christ for your salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But the Holy Spirit's power without our effort that we lean into, it makes you stuck. That's what it does. You're not gonna move anywhere. You need to lean into God's grace. He's pouring his grace out on you saying, I want you to grow, I want you to fully mature, but we gotta step into that. We gotta put some effort into that. And when we do that, we begin to mature in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, I uh, hope that you do turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, if you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand, raise your hand and an usher will come and um, put one in your hand this morning. In Colossians chapter one, we're gonna begin at verse 24 and we're gonna read through chapter two, verse five. So Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse 24. And when you find that, you can go ahead and stand to your feet and we're gonna read this out loud together, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24, all the way through chapter 2, verse 5. Let's read this together. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in 
fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that we may encourage in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You may have a seat. So Paul says in verse 24, take a look at verse 24 again. Now I, what's the word? Rejoice, say it again. Now I, what's the word? Rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. So a couple things that we notice right away. Number one, Paul is suffering and he's honest about it. Okay, that's the first thing that we know. He says, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. He's honest about that. Number two, he's able to somehow rejoice in the midst of this suffering that he's going through, right? Paul's in prison, you know that. He's, he's writing this from prison. Prior to that, he, you know, he's been shipwrecked, he's been, he's been beaten, uh, he's been chased down as he went from village to village preaching the gospel. Mobs of people would follow him, uh, they would try to trip him up, they would heckle him, they would try to pit the people in the village against him. And so this was Paul's life. This is just what his life was. He suffered a great deal for the cause of Christ, and he's honest about that, and we notice that he's somehow able to suffer, but then there's something else that we notice right out of the gate in this first verse, and that is that his suffering somehow has a purpose, that he's going to be able to benefit and he's going to be able to serve others through his suffering, and, and in Paul's case, right in the midst of his suffering, like right while he's suffering, like he's suffering right now, he's being beaten probably by guards right now, and yet in the midst of all of that suffering, he is able to somehow use that and lean into his calling, lean into his commissioning that God's given him, and fulfill this purpose, um, and, and that purpose is, is also going to benefit and it's going to serve others. Now, I have to address something here because uh, at first view of this verse when Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Okay, what Paul is not saying is that somehow Christ's suffering on the cross wasn't quite good enough to get the job done and that Paul had to kind of fill in where Jesus kind of was lacking. That's not at all what Paul is saying here, um, but what he is saying is that suffering is unavoidable, especially when the gospel's being preached. Suffering 
is unavoidable. Like we can't escape suffering. Suffering's going to happen, especially when the gospel is preached. And here's the thing about suffering. Suffering is incredibly complicated, right? We suffer in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes we suffer physically in our body. We're achy. We got something going on in our body. Um, You know, if you're over 40, you feel that every single morning when you wake up, right? Or when you bend down to tie your shoes, you, that's why we do slip on shoes, right? uh, Because, you know, we hear parts of our body that cracks and crackles and, and, and so, you know, suffering's just complicated. Sometimes we, we suffer physically. Sometimes we suffer emotionally. Uh, sometimes there's some emotional stuff going on in our life or something that has happened to us that brings about some emotional suffering. Sometimes there's spiritual suffering that we suffer. Sometimes there's, uh, there's mental anguish and suffering that we deal with. And on, so on top of all of that, there's different degrees by which we suffer. Sometimes it's just a little suffer, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, in the scheme of life, this isn't that big, but it's a, it's a, we suffer in, in some degrees. And then other times it's big, big, big stuff that consumes our every waking hour. Then combine that with different types of suffering that we have. And I want to give you six. There are more, but I'm going to give you six that uh, see if you can kind of relate to some of these, but these are all kind of different ways that we suffer. One, common suffering. There's this thing just called common suffering. Like this is the result of living in a fallen world, living in, in a world that, uh, you know, is, is sinful. Uh, the fact that Adam sinned and we're born into sin brings about it, our fallen nature, and the result of that is sickness and death come from that, and we just live, and, 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 you know, and it's just this common suffering that we all live under. It's just the result of, of sin and our sin nature, right? And Scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust equally, uh, that's common suffering, right? And then there's uh, victim suffering. There's victim suffering, and this is really, really hard. And um, some of you in this room uh, are suffering or have suffered or continue to suffer, uh, not as a result of anything that you have done, but as a result of someone who sinned against you. And this is suffering that is brought about um, and you're the victim, and uh, you're now living the nightmare uh, because somebody sinned against you. And that's really difficult, right? And, and so there's victim suffering. Then there's consequential suffering. There's consequential suffering. That's a hard word, consequential suffering. And this is the result of foolish decisions, unwise decisions that we make. And the result of those foolish decisions that we make is there's some consequences, right, that come about as a result of that. Even suffering can come as a result of that, and that's called consequential suffering um, because it's a consequence of our, of our actions. You know, maybe you made a poor financial decision or made a series of poor financial decisions, and you're paying some consequences as a result of that. Maybe you committed adultery and the result of that is you lost your marriage or your marriage is suffering as a result of that. There's a consequential suffering that is taking place as a result of that. So there's consequential suffering. There's demonic suffering. There's demonic suffering. De- uh, Satan is real. 
Satan is on the prowl. He wants to destroy you. Um, Scripture says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to pull Christ out of the center of your life, move him to the fringes, place you in the middle uh, so that he can have control over you. That's what Satan wants to do. We have this thing called spiritual warfare. It's very real. And there are times in our life when, um, you know, our suffering is a result of a demonic attack and, and, and a result of you know, oppression from the enemy. Now, let me just say that sometimes I hear people saying, ah, the, you know, Satan's just hounding me and he's, he's all over me right now and I'm being attacked by Satan and my marriage is being attacked by Satan and I have to sometimes say, hey, time out. No, 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 that's, this isn't demonic suffering. This is consequential suffering because of your Actions, right? And so we can't be quick to blame Satan for suffering that um, is by our own choices that we make. But let me be clear there are times when Satan does attack, and it's, he's, it's, it's real, and it's the world we live in, and that's called demonic suffering. Then there is opposition suffering. This is the type of suffering that Paul is living right now. This is, uh, you know, the result of preaching the gospel. Jesus warned us that following him is going to lead to suffering. It's going to lead to persecution. It's going to lead to people hating you as a result of Jesus, right? And there's a cost that comes from following Jesus, and that cost comes in the form of suffering, but it's worth it, right? It's worth it. Jesus said, in John 15, 20, uh, that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And, and just by the fact that we are called to live kind of against the flow of the world, that is going to bring about some level of opposition suffering in your life. Now, it might not get you beaten and thrown into prison, um, I, I, it may one day, who knows, we'll see how this thing goes, um, but uh, it could create some suffering in your life right now. Maybe, for example, you take a stand in your workplace and you tell your boss that, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm a follower of Christ and we don't act that way, and the result of that is that you're going to be faced maybe with some oppositional suffering. Maybe you won't get the promotion that you really, really wanted. Maybe, uh, maybe you lose your job as as a result of that, and you suffer because of oppositional, oppositional suffering. So that's a form of suffering. Then there's empathetic suffering, empathetic suffering. And this is a type of suffering that we as a body are called to do because we're part of the body of Christ. See, you didn't just come to church today. I hope you know that. Like, you didn't just say, oh, I'm going to go to the you know, the 1015 service, I'm going to go to church. No, you are the church, and the person next to you is the church. Matter of fact, just elbow the person next to you and say, you are the church. Go ahead and do that. You are the church, and we're called to, you know, what happens in, when something in your body suffers, right? In your physical body, something suffers, the rest of your body Suffers. Guess what happens in our church when one part of our body suffers? Guess who suffers? We all suffer. That's called empathetic suffering, you know, and we experience this as parents when our, our kids are going through something painful. 
And we have to watch them go through that. And, and we would want so desperately that that would be us in that hospital bed or that would be us in that, you know, in that, in that chair instead of them, right? And we have this great empathy towards them. Now, to make suffering even more complicated than that, not, you know, not only is there different types, but you can be experiencing several different types of suffering all at the same time. So suffering is complicated. It's complicated. Now, there's a question that because we're human, we ask a whole lot every time we're faced with suffering. It's just one word question, and you guys know the word. Uh, What is the word? What's the one word question that we ask when we're facing suffering? What is it? We say, why? And why isn't necessarily a Wrong question to ask, sometimes it can be, but it's also not very helpful question to ask, okay? And so in your notes, you may want to write this down. It's not wrong to ask God why, because we're confused and we don't understand, but it is wrong to ask him why because we think he's wrong. There's a difference, right? Uh, So there are times when we suffer, when we go through something, and our natural response is to say, God, why? Because I'm I'm confused here, okay? Like, God, I I wish I was able to kind of see like you see, kind of pull open the curtain and kind of see down the road a little bit and and have a glimpse into the future to kind of see what you're thinking here because I'm confused. I trust you, God, but I'm just confused in, in knowing how this suffering that I'm going through right now is going to fit into your plan. See, that, that's okay to ask that question, but if, if we're asking the question, God, why, and we're placing God like on trial, and you're the judge kind of saying, God, what you're doing is wrong, that's when, it, that's when it, it's dangerous to ask that question. It's sinful. It's harmful to us. It's not helpful to us to ask that question. I want to give you four questions that, so we're talking about placing Jesus at the center of our suffering. And so in order to do that effectively, we have to ask the right questions. So I'm going to give you four questions that are really, really helpful. Write these down. They're not going to be up on the screen. So write these down and, and, and really think about these questions when you're faced, maybe you're faced with some sort of suffering right now. Maybe it's even consequential suffering that you're going through. You've made some foolish decisions. I still want you to ask these questions uh, because they, these questions, if we, if we lean into these questions and we really listen for the answer, I believe that this will place Jesus at the center of our suffering. Here are the questions. God, what are you teaching me about yourself through my suffering? God, what are you teaching me about yourself through my suffering. See, God's character is so big and we process God's character through our experiences. And so when we face something new, that's new territory that we've not yet ever come to, we have an opportunity to learn something about the character of God in a way that we didn't have uh, that way of, 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 of learning that prior to this situation. Does that make sense? So, so we ask God, God, what are you teaching me about yourself through my suffering? And, and so that's a great first question. Second really good question is, God, what are you teaching me about myself through my suffering? 
Remember, we talked about sanctification, kind of growing, becoming more like Christ, which means, and we never fully get there, right? We, 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 we believe in this thing called progressive sanctification, like we're on a journey of becoming more like Christ, and we're not going to get there until Jesus comes back or we die and go to be with him, and then we uh, see another aspect to our salvation. It's called glorification. We become fully glorified. We become um, completely holy in the process. We, we, we place ourselves under uh, the, the flow of grace and we become, hopefully day by day, more and more like Jesus. And what that means is that God wants to teach us more and more about ourselves so that we can give that over to the Lord, right? Because our salvation, we come to Christ and there's all kinds of areas of our lives that we've yet to surrender. And so when we walk through another experience, in, in a painful experience even, uh, we're able to kind of lean into God and, and God reveals areas of our lives that we've yet to surrender to him. And so, God, what are you teaching me about myself through my suffering? Third question, God, how do I become more like you in my suffering? How do I become more like you, Jesus, in my suffering? A really good question to ask. How did Jesus suffer? Because we're called to suffer just like Jesus did. And, and we, we throw ourselves into that, and he gives us his strength and his grace and his power to be able to do that. And then the final question is this. God, would you show me who I can help and serve in and through my suffering? Do you catch that? God, would you show me who I can help and serve in and through my suffering? And, and sometimes that's exactly while I'm in the middle of my suffering. Other times, that's years down the road that God uh, reveals a person that maybe is going through the same thing that, that you went through or I went through and we're able to like come alongside of them and we're able to pour into them. Sometimes right in the middle and it's like, okay, let me, let me teach you what God's teaching me through this process of suffering. And those are four really good questions that we should be asking. Let's go back to our text, verse 25 of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Paul says this, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the, what's the word? Say it again, what's the word? The commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone, what are these words here? Fully what? Mature in Christ. To this end, I passively contend, no, I what? Strenuously contend with how much energy? All the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. There's the effort that we have to put into it. And Paul's saying, man, I'm suffering 
Yes, it's true, I'm suffering, uh, but you know, my suffering has a purpose. Uh, I'm called to help people, to serve people through my suffering. He gave me a big calling, and um, I'm, I'm going to just continue with all of my effort. I'm going I'm to put all of my effort, I'm going to strenuously contend towards this calling that God has given me to preach the gospel and because Jesus was at the center of his suffering, um, he's able to care for others while he's in the middle of a prison cell. That's just crazy, right? It's unheard of because I know what happens when I go through suffering and maybe what happens to you when you go through suffering. See, I honestly, truth be told, when I'm suffering, uh, it takes me a little while to put Jesus at the center of my suffering because I want to be at the center of my suffering. And I expect everybody around me to focus on me in the midst of my suffering. Matter of fact, there's a new planet and it's called Mike in the middle of my suffering and everybody orbits around me and my suffering, right? And here's what happens when I place myself at the center of my suffering. I exhaust people around me and I expect them to jump it and, and to serve me and I, I get mad when they don't. I get mad when they don't notice my suffering and what I'm going through and then I get bitter at God and I get angry and that's how it goes when, when, when I place myself at the center of our suffering. But God wants us to place Jesus at the center of our suffering. This is what Paul has done. And it's really, really hard to do. And here's what I want you to know this morning. The more that you and I are at the center of our suffering, listen to me, the less you will rejoice in it. The more you and I are at the center of our suffering, the less we're going to rejoice in it. But check this out. The more that Jesus is at the center of your suffering, of course we're going to be able to rejoice in that, but also the more you will serve others through it. The more you will serve others others through it. And uh, Jesus called and he commissioned Paul to ministry, to full-time ministry. And you might be shocked. This might be the most profound thing that I say all morning this morning. But here's the reality. You have been called and commissioned into full-time Christian service. I didn't get any amens on that. You, you, everybody say me. I have been called to full-time Christian ministry. Yeah, that, that's, you, you have been called to that. We tend to think of those people that have been called as the guy up here delivering the message uh, and working in the, the church building. Guess what? You've been called. You've been commissioned. You, you've been called and, and commissioned to full-time Christian ministry, and here's how we tend to think of ministry. We tend to think of ministry as something we step into for a period of time, like I have my life. I work in a factory, or I work at the hospital, or I work at my desk for a company, and that's my life, and I do the fun things that I do, and there are moments when I kind of step into ministry, and I complete a task of ministry, and then when I done completing that task, then I step back into my life. That's how we often view our lives, isn't it? 
And, and, but that's not at all uh, what this Christian life is about. See, you and I are called and commissioned into full-time ministry. And here's what I want you to know today, uh, that your suffering that you have been through is equipping you to become a better minister. Paul is a better minister because of the suffering that he has gone through. He has the ability to lean into people and to relate to people in ways that he could never relate to because of the suffering that he is in. And I want you to understand that your salvation, uh, write this down, your salvation automatically comes with a calling to full-time ministry. And check this out, don't miss this part. And your greatest ministry often comes from your deepest pain. You are automatically called into ministry. You don't got to wait for God to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, get to work. I'm calling you. No, it's already done. He's called you. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to his calling. And your greatest ability, your greatest ministry often comes from your deepest pain. I meet with people, as pastors, we meet with people all the time. People come in and, and they sit down and they unload and they're, and they're suffering and they, uh, you know, they're struggling with something and we do our best. I do my best, I'll be honest. I do my best at pointing them to Jesus through that, uh, pointing them to scripture and, and uh, you know, uh, getting them to think through the lens of, of, of God's word in that. But here's, here's the reality, like, there are times when uh, I'm, I'm talking to the person sitting across from me and I can't relate to what they're going through. Like I just haven't ever been there. It's not that I don't care about their situation. It's not that I don't want to care and it's not that I, I it's just that I haven't walked where they have walked. But guess who has walked? where they have walked. Sometimes you are the one that can actually minister to them more than any pastor that's paid. And, and you gotta believe that and you gotta know that. Like that's just, so don't be surprised when we pick up the phone and because we know a little slice of your life and we say, hey, you've been here, you've walked through that, you've seen God's grace move powerfully through that. I have somebody that's right where you were. Will you walk with them? Will you, will you, will you kind of just share your life with them? That's what we're called, that's what we're called to do. And, you know, the, the truth about suffering is suffering stinks. Like, who likes suffering? I don't like suffering at all. Matter of fact, I love the gift that suffering brings, but I hate what it's wrapped in. I, I, I love what it produces in me and produces in us, but I can't stand what it's wrapped in, right? Uh, we don't have to like what it's wrapped in, but we do have to look for the gift in it. And that's what God calls us to be. So the worst part of your life can be the best part of your ministry. Uh, the, the, the hard moments are not just for your growth in grace. Yes, they are for your growth in grace, but the, you, it's also so that you can use that as part of your calling, part of your ministry to impact other people. And, and so my question this morning is, what is your deepest pain? And, and man, I don't want to minimize your pain at all. Man, some of you have gone through and are going through just incredibly painful stuff. And, 
And we're sorry that you are going through the suffering that you're going through. But don't discount the gift that comes from that suffering as it relates to your ministry. Because God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. So what's your deepest pain? Maybe it's a divorce that you went through. And if you're honest, you'd look back and you'd say, man, if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have gone through that divorce. God's grace met me in that divorce. And I'm forgiven for that divorce. But truth be told, it brought consequences and it brought about consequential suffering that I didn't see was going to happen. Well, guess what? God wants to use that now. Maybe there's somebody that God's going to place in your life that's considering a divorce and you are there to say, whoa, slow down, time out, time out. Let me, let me help you see the world that I walked and see the grace that God gave me through this and um, let me help you navigate through that. There's some things that I would have done differently. Uh, maybe, um, you know, you've had miscarriages along the way, and I, that's hard. That is a road that my wife and I have walked several times, and it's, it's painful. And, and even though that was, you know, 20-plus years ago, when I, when I learn of somebody that has a miscarriage, it, like, awakens all that in me all over again, and, and I remember what that was like. I remember what that was like for Naomi, and, and I remember what that was like for me as a husband walking with you know, my wife through that, and, 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 I, and I, I use that as a way to kind of say, okay, you know, let me, let me walk you through some of that. Let me, let me help you kind of navigate through some of this pain that I walked through um, in, in that, and, and you do the same thing. And so what is your deepest pain? Your greatest ministry often comes from your deepest pain. Take a look at chapter two, and, and let's uh, land the plane here. Uh, chapter two, verses one through five, Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am what? What's the word? Contending for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be, check this out, encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul is just wanting so much for this, this dear church that he's never even personally met to, to become fully mature, even in the midst of their suffering. But here's what Paul is saying. Uh, there's three things that I believe he's saying that we'll close with uh, to keep Jesus at the center of our suffering. Paul is saying this. Number one, we need sound biblical understanding. If we're going to keep Jesus at the center of our suffering, we need sound biblical understanding. Uh, and that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's correcting some errors in what they, they have heard about Jesus and have been even uh, living out. He's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Let me set the record straight about who Jesus is. And, and so Paul is bringing about some good biblical understanding so that they can place Jesus at the center of their life. We need sound biblical understanding. We need to be students of the word. We need to look at God's living word 
to inform us, to correct us, to, to sustain us, to remind us. We need to be diligent in reading God's word. Secondly, Paul's saying we need solid biblical relationships. We need solid biblical relationships. Paul used the phrase united in love, that we are united in love. Maybe your translation says knit together. I love that, 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 that word picture there, that we're knit together, that my life intersects with your life and, and, and we're united together and we need to do that. No man is an island. You, you can't do life alone. You were never intended to. We're meant to do it in community and we need solid biblical relationships uh, to be connected to. Thirdly, Paul's saying we need serious biblical discernment. We need serious biblical discernment. Uh, Paul says we're going to be confronted, you're going to be confronted uh, with often fine-sounding arguments, okay, meaning that they're pretty persuasive arguments about how we should live our lives and what we should believe, and, and we're hammered all day long with, with uh, a worldview that is contrary to what the Bible teaches us how we should live. And we need, we need some serious biblical discernment to know how we should live because uh, oftentimes we're called to, to kind of uh, go opposite of what the world, the, the world is teaching us to go. And, and there are going to be times that you're confronted with, with something that sounds good, like it makes sense, like it even feels right. And, and you're going to be tempted to, to believe that. You're going to be tempted to like say, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of follow this way because it seems right. And Paul's saying, put the brakes on. You need to put that through the lens of biblical discernment uh, because we want Jesus to be at the center of our lives and we want Jesus to be at the center of our suffering. I want to close with a story. I get this magazine uh, maybe you do as well. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. And this is a magazine that's published uh, that comes out that, that tells stories of people all over the world that um, are being persecuted, um, who lost their life even because of the cause of Christ. And, and you can open it up and you can look at a map and you can kind of see you know, the persecuted church. And, and it's a world that you and I often don't live in when we're talking about persecution, right? Uh, you know, we're not thrown into prison for what we believe and for the name of Christ. But, uh, but I, I opened this up and this is a 50-year anniversary and uh, uh, 50 years of ministry for Voice of the Martyrs. And I opened it up and there's a story about the founder of Voice of the Martyrs uh, who out of his deepest pain came his greatest ministry, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, in 1948 on a Sunday while uh, he said, well, I went to church, I was kidnapped by the communist and I knew that even in the van of the secret police, I am in the hands of the Almighty God and this gave quiet to my heart he goes on, uh, he doesn't go on, but uh, the president of the organization now goes on to tell uh, this man's story, um, and uh, Richard Wumberland is his name, and he was in solitary confinement for three years, 30 feet below the ground. Other than brief interactions with his guards, he saw and heard no one. As far as he knew, the outside world had ceased to exist, but in that dark, lonely, cold cell, he cried out to God, and listen to this, he dreamed about starting a ministry that would serve Christians in communist countries, and God heard his 
prayers. Years later, uh, you know, it goes on to say Richard's message was not always welcome uh, at a time when war protests and pro-communist rallies were occurring regularly around the United States. Uh, he, he boldly took the stage and he spoke out against the crimes being committed by communist regimes. Although he was often booed and jeered, he remained undeterred. Now check this out. Don't miss this part. When he asked about his qualifications to speak out in this way, he would strip to his waist to show his 18 torture scars, and he would say, these marks are my credentials. These marks are my credentials. You have credentials, and it comes in the gift of the suffering that you have gone through, are going through, will go through. Placing Jesus at the center of your suffering turns the hardest thing in your life into your full-time ministry, your full-time calling, your full-time commissioning by God. Let me pray for you. Lord, we need you. Suffering is not easy. Lord, there's times when I suffer and I want myself to be at the center, God. And I know you call us to place you at the center of our suffering. Help us to do that, Lord. Uh, I pray that in this room, even maybe even I stirred up and maybe even ripped the scab off of some wounds in people's lives, Lord. And I pray that your grace would minister to them in a powerful way. God, that you would remind them of how precious they are to you. God, and that you would use each of us in this grand story that you've unfolded in our lives to bring about your name and to make your name famous, God, for your glory. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.